NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, this is NWP Radio of the National Writing Project. I'm Christina Cantrell. I'm coming to you from Philadelphia in October of 2020. And I am super excited to have the opportunity to talk with friends and colleagues here about the National Geographic Society and their resources for classrooms. We will talk today about resources for teachers and students, especially a bunch of those that are newly available um, since the pandemic started. We'll look at some work that we have done with um, them as writing project teachers. And we'll spend some time on Nat Geo's geo inquiry process specifically. So uh, let's do a quick go around the Zoom call here and introduce ourselves. Maybe you can say, you know, of course, who you are, but then also where you're located, since this is a Nat Geo kind of thing. I'll go first. I'm Rich Novak, and I'm a high school English teacher in Connecticut and a doc student at Columbia University Teachers College. Hi, I'm Paul Allison, um, TC at uh, the New York City Writing Project. And uh, I love how mm, the geo-inquiry process is about questions and data and how the questions keep changing. Carrie Nobis, and I teach high school English and science in Metro Detroit. And I'm a TC with the Red Cedar Writing Project at Michigan State University. Hi, I'm Elaine Larson. I am the Midwest Regional Director for uh, National Geographic Education, and I live in the Chicago area. I'm Jeff Deerking, and I'm in the Kansas City area, um, a TC for the Greater Kansas City Writing Project and an English teacher and curriculum <laughs> coordinator um, at my school district near Kansas City. Great. Well, thank you all for being here today and talking about this, um, this work and uh, these resources. So um, I'm going to start to share my screen. And Elaine, you are going to walk us through some of the resources. Or no, actually, you're going to talk to us more about one of our main questions when we started doing this work, which was, what is geography anyway? And really having to get our heads, our collective heads around that these ideas. So maybe you can start us off there um, and give us a little bit of background. I'll be glad to do that. Thank you. Um, I'm smiling because I was at a meeting. I, I started my day today at a meeting at National Geographic where we were talking about what is geography. Now you think we would know that, right? We'd have that down, but it is all we're always talking about what is it about geography? that is important, that is key to what we want to do and we, what we think students should learn um, and should be proficient at. So kind of an ongoing question. Part of what we have done in that effort has been to develop um, um, the NGS geo-inquiry process. You're going to hear a lot more about the different steps in the geo-inquiry process by educators who've actually done this in, in their classroom with students. So I will just lead that off by saying that basically we think of the geo-inquiry process as a process that puts together the concepts of inquiry that are all over in all the curriculum 
in the standards and what people are doing in classrooms across the curriculum, putting together that inquiry process with civic action, um, that final piece of that, that important part about acting. So in that we're recognizing the interconnections that exist between the human and natural world and what that has to do with us and why it matters, why we need to work around that. One of the questions I always get when I talk to people about the geo-inquiry process though, especially when I talk to people in science and other areas that aren't specifically geography with quotes around it, is why geo? So um, the next slide, there we go. We've got some thoughts about why geo. Um, I think one of the important things here is to realize when we're talking about the geo in inquiry, we're not just referring to the strict geography course where students might be learning at an early age the capitals of countries or place names or where rivers are and where they go. Um, the important thing for us in geo-inquiry and the understanding of geography in this sense is that everything happens in a place. So we ask, where is it? Why is it there? And then why do we care about that? We think geographic thinking is the key to identifying all the issues, the problems, the ideas um, that exist in the world and that everything has geographic perspective. My favorite quote about geography is one that uh, just popped up again in a resource that I was reading from several years ago, which I'll tell you a little bit more about, but is that geography should be taught wherever it is found. In other words, it's found everywhere. So that's why the geo in geo inquiry, and that's kind of what sets this apart from other inquiry um, sorts of processes that people are familiar with. Um, there's another quote about children. The next slide, if you want to go to that, please. The geography can be a great equalizer. Uh, we think it's important for every child to recognize the idea of place because they have a place. And so that's something that's easy for students, for kids of all ages to grasp and that they know something about the world around them. So it's sort of a common base of experience, a core theme in geography. So other core themes in geography are on the next slide, taking a look at um, making sure that when we're talking about geographic thinking, which you're going to hear a little more about in just about 30 seconds, we're looking at looking at the interconnections between the human and the natural world through a variety of different perspectives. Um, everything from spatial, cultural, political, all of these different perspectives you see here, but also looking at them on different scales whether it's a local sort of phenomenon, a local issue, a local event, a local problem, it probably has some sort of regional impact or global impact or vice versa. Things that happen on a global level, boy, we sure see that now. Everything is connected right now through the pandemic. Um, and all of those different perspectives are going on with this issue that we're, that we're dealing with all the time. Another important perspective in looking at um, geographic perspective and how we look at the world around us and a, a cornerstone of the, the geo-inquiry process is the explorer mindset, which is basically uh, this developed, if you want to move on to the next slide, um, this developed out of our um, idea of putting together what is our pedagogical foundation at National Geographic? What do we think it's important for kids from students of all ages to be able to, um, that we can nurture in them as a result of 
their interactions with us. So going from the perspective of an explorer, which we have, so it's a natural explorer, what are the attitudes, the skills, and the knowledge areas that we feel are important for students to develop, for us to nurture in students, um, that gives them that sort of mindset that makes them feel like they are and realize that they are an explorer. So we just developed these, um, these sets of attributes um, as sort of a, a summary of, of what that is. Um, we have someone though who can explain that a whole lot better than me. And so we're going to go ahead and listen to Alex Oberly talk about what it means to think like a geographer. My name is Alex Oberly, and I am a National Geographic Society fellow focusing on education. I'm here to talk to you about what geography is and how geographers think about the world. Geography is critical for understanding our increasingly interconnected planet. But what exactly is an interconnected planet? Interconnections are the interactions between humans and the environment, both globally and on a local scale. For example, I live in Iowa, a great place to start thinking like a geographer because of interconnections between students and a wind farm behind their school. Wind turbines generate over a third of the electricity produced in Iowa, reducing the state's contributions to global greenhouse gas emissions, all by harnessing this renewable resource. Locally, the wind towers provide an additional source of income for farmers, and regionally, wind energy-related manufacturing jobs are vital for dozens of towns and small cities. But the local and global benefits have a negative impact on birds and bats. Bats are particularly susceptible, and wind turbines are now the leading cause of mass mortality among bats. There is clearly a risk to local bat populations, but in thinking like a geographer, we see that it has regional and global interconnections too. Three of the bat species most vulnerable to wind turbines are bats that roost in trees, migrating when trees lose their leaves and fall. So, a wind farm in Iowa may kill bats en route to Mexico or Guatemala, negatively affecting the ecology in those countries as well. Let's take a step back and ask ourselves, what does a geographer want to know? It starts with three basic questions. Where is it? Why is it there? And why do we care? Using our wind farm example, the wind turbines are located in Iowa. They are there to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And we care because wind energy has a local and regional economic impact and is a renewable energy source to address global climate change. Although wind turbines are generally positive for our planet, wind farms also pose a threat to species such as the tree roosting bats. Geography contains a variety of perspectives. A perspective provides a frame of reference for asking and answering questions, identifying and solving problems, and evaluating the consequences of alternative actions. The spatial perspective refers to the location where something occurs, as well as the interactions and interconnections among locations. Geographers also employ an ecological perspective, which refers to the interaction of human disruption to the Earth's physical environment. Geographers analyze these positive and negative interconnected consequences so that we can learn from the effect of previous human actions and provide innovative solutions for the future. 
The beauty of geography is that all of this, knowing where something occurs and seeking to understand the significance of its interconnections, integrating the human and physical systems, caring about why something matters, and taking informed action is all fundamental to exploration and the mindset of explorers. This call to action is accessible to everyone, from the student who's looking out their school window at a wind farm in rural Iowa, to National Geographic explorers who use geography every single day. Explorer Sarah Parkak employs a spatial perspective by using satellite imagery to protect Egyptian archeological sites from looting. Enrique Sala and the Pristine Seas Project similarly center on the spatial perspective by asking, where are the last wild places in the ocean? Because human disturbances to ocean environments are critical to Sala's project, his work naturally focuses on the interconnectivity of both physical and human systems. Both of these explorers' work has had a positive, tangible impact, influencing policy decisions in Egypt and Mexico. Geography is the ideal vehicle for National Geographic explorers and student explorers alike to draw on the same mindset to identify and solve today's pressing global issues. Thinking like a geographer empowers students to ask questions and develop a deeper understanding of their planet enabling them to enact lasting change. Great, thank you so much. Um, we need a soundtrack. He had a nice soundtrack. Anyway, sorry. He had a nice soundtrack, yeah. And um, the pictures are also stunning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to thank you so much for that. And it's, it's so, I don't know, I found it very, very um, comforting and, and um, to hear that this is an ongoing, but what is geography? Because we really, as a group, uh, spend a lot of time kind of trying to wrap our minds around it and always returning back to this question, what is geography, what is geography? And how does that influence how we think about this work? So um, just for a little bit of context here between the work, um, or the, the work that the National Writing Project was doing with uh, National Geographic, um, back in 2018, um, actually National Geographic developed with lrng.org, which is an online platform, developed some um, playlists for students to um, enact the geo-inquiry process. So they are student-facing curriculum that meant to support this process. And um, Rich Novak here and Paul Allison and myself were um, connected with a team of Nat Geo certified teachers from around the country who were testing out these playlists. And so as a, as a writing project team, we were less familiar with the geo inquiry process. So we were coming into that pretty uh, new, although we were familiar with these online playlists. And um, the geo inquiry teachers knew this geo inquiry process quite well and were new to the platform. So we kind of became a team. Um, and in that context, Rich um, implemented these, these playlists in his classroom and is gonna share a bit with us now. And Paul and I work closely with other teachers who were doing the same. Then 
2019, um, this extended group of us worked on these playlists um, to sort of remix them based on what was learned with the beta process. So Carrie and Jeff and Rich and Paul and I have been sort of part of this process sort of looking at these playlists, studying them, updating them, and thinking about suddenly then when COVID, when the, there's a global pandemic, um, how do we start to think about this work in that context too? So, um, so anyway, I just wanted to invite the team to sort of start to describe this geo-inquiry process for our listeners and, um, and invite Elaine to come in and jump in and sort of clarify anything that we might not get exactly right or <laughs> you think uh, would help. But um, we have sort of studied this process and done different elements of it. So maybe Jeff, you could start us off with the kind of the ask phase. Um, I guess all of these are phases really, right? So um, tell us a little bit about the ask phase of the geo inquiry process. So the, the ask phase uh, of the geo inquiry process is um, really the place that you start by rooting yourself um, in the place, rooting yourself and students in the place that you are um, and helping students to kind of wake up to the idea of um, really observing the area around them um, and, and in the process of a pretty guided and uh, careful observation um, take some notes uh, and and do some real noticing and observing um, to formulate a question. Um, obviously, the the phase is called ask, so we've got to get to the question part. And so the the um, first part of the phase is to sort of uh, notice, observe, um, and take note. And then uh, the second part of that phase is to develop a question. Um, that is in the spirit of the geo-inquiry, uh, the thinking like a geographer. So thinking about why is it there? Why do we care? Um, where is it uh, is a key question, of course. And, um, and then helping students to formulate that question into something that they can really act on in the next few steps. Great, thanks, Paul, you wanna? Yeah, it got, let me... Um add to that a little bit to say that um, where the group coalesces on what the question is gonna be that you're gonna take action on, right? And that's always in our head, like there's gonna be action taken on this question, but the best projects we've seen around are the, 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 the projects that allow students to muck around a little bit come up with five questions and then do, and to collect some information about all of those questions, perhaps. Um, go out and talk to some research, some experts in the community, do some research online. This is the collect phase, and then kind of decide when you want to decide that this is the question. That's my interpretation. There are some who wanna have the question right at the end of the <laughs> question phase, um, but we can, we can play with that. Um, so again, you're collecting data from the community, experts in the community, and that can be really interesting to think about who that should be, and from local newspapers um, and online resources, and then coming back and saying, okay, so what are, what are the questions and how are they really geography questions? You know, um, where's the, um, the places and the... Um, the why those places matter in those questions, and then what kind of data do we need? So let's go out and collect that data 
So that's sort of what the collect phase is all about. And the third phase of the geo-inquiry process is visualize. So after students have come up with a um, key question, they've gone out and researched, collected their data, primary and secondary sources, it's now time to figure out what story that data tells. And um, in trying to figure out what story that data tells, the students are asked to figure out the best way to represent their data. And they will be dealing with spatial representations, plotting things on maps, as well as graphic representations, um, uses of color and symbol, and figuring out just the best way to both understand the story that the data is telling, but also then eventually to communicate the story that that data is telling as well. Great. And then once um, in the create phase, I mean, there's this creation of these maps that tell a story. And then the create phase, there's the creation of a larger story that you would share with others. So really thinking about how do you compose a narrative um, that shows sort of why um, the question about why do you care in the first place, going back to that and sort of making a story that connects all the, um, the questions you started with, um, the data you collected and the map and pull those together into a uh, coherent narrative that you can share with others. So what's nice is Nat Geo has all these sort of case studies of geographers telling their stories in the world to the public and um, and they and they can be used as mentor texts to start to to support uh, kids in telling their stories. And then there's a process of um, really thinking about what tools tell your story well. So you have these maps, you have these data collections, you have uh, these questions. What what are the best tools for telling your story? As well as um, really helping um, students storyboard. Uh, a, a narrative that's coherent and that 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 can be understood by outside audiences who might not be so involved in the nitty gritty of the work. Then the, the last phase to me, this is the most Nat Geo-ish, right? If that's a word I could say, right? You know, Nat, National Geographic has this history of getting out there. You know, it's not just an academic pursuit where you just kind of sit inside your, your cubicle and do nothing with stuff. You know, naturally pushing people out into the world to places they've never been. And that's exactly where they're pushing students with all this, these questions, with this collected data, with these visualizations. And now with this story, we say, what can we do with this that'll help the world? And that this act part is just that we get students to engage with their communities to actually change whatever it is that the question saw as a problem in society a problem in their local environments and actually present what they found to someone real. And it's, it's for students, you know, I, I, from personal experience, I'll tell you more about this in a second. You know, this is the part where it's like, this is rare. And I think it's fantastic because it really makes students, civ, you know, civic and civically engaged with their community um, in a way that just doesn't happen a lot in school. So I appreciate that. And that's what the act phase is about. Awesome. Do you want to lead us into sort of how this unfolded in your classroom, Rich, and what you yeah. learned from it there? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, back in 2018, 
Um, after, you know, we had trained and talked about this with the National Writing Project folk uh, and Christina and Paul and everyone else, um, I got a chance to do this with my environmental literature course called Call of the Wild. It's a course where traditionally I take students outside. It's, it's part of the curriculum and it's an English course. Um, we read nature literature and then we go outside often. We go camping and stuff. Um, but this year we did the Nat Geo project and, um, you know, we started with those phases and I had a nice small class that year, 10 students. And I think across bigger classes, you would break this up into different groups. Paul had mentioned having different questions, you know, where different groups might take different questions. I, I could see this playing out in so many ways and I could see teachers just running with this. And I'll tell you how I kind of improvised too and brought what I needed for my curriculum into the project. So for the ask phase, um, we, we went outside like we always do. And we just started looking around our school uh, for issues to talk about. Um, and one of the places we always visit in my outdoor class is this little, you know, it's, it's in suburban Connecticut. And there's this little open space right next to my class where I take students to go and do some nature journaling all the time. You know, there's a picture of a student doing that. Um, so we'd been there several times already. And one of the things students always notice in this park is the litter problem in this small, it's only about 10 acres, you know, nestled in suburbia. So the students decided that that would be their question. Like, what can we do about the litter in, in this park? Um, and for the collect phase, they divvied up responsibilities. And, you know, the Nat Geo Inquiry Project has all these different um, prompts and stuff that give you ideas about what students can do. We use this, these LRNG playlists, which were these videos that they could video, see kind of um, what it might look like and get ideas from. And they did lots of different collecting of data. They, um, number one, uh, one student was tasked with going and interviewing neighbors in the area about what they noticed about the trash in that park. And you got some really crazy stories about like one guy talked about how there was one year where somebody just dumped a bunch of raw fish in the, the fish guts in the park uh, and and another you know people were talking about all the other type of litter they've seen there um, another activity they did as part of collecting was we actually kind of walked the 10 acres together and actually geolocated all of the trash we found and that's um, exemplified in that both that image there on the screen um, all those dots and also in that journaling right there where it says you know I walked in the woods on Sunday afternoon so this is another data collection some students went and looked on their own outside of class time to see what was going on there um, and this student talked about how he went uh, I went and I took notes of where the most trash accumulated small dots represent the items of the trash in a small cluster while larger dots represented larger concentrations um, you see, he sketched it and then he actually made it into something as part of that visual phase. Students then represented their data in something visual. And that's what this student did. He made a, a map. Other students um, had, for visualizing, you know, I like to think of it as multimodal visualization. Some students had some audio recordings that we had with us. Um, and then in the create phase, we created a video that I would show you had it not disappeared. <laughs> from my existence lately, so sorry. Um, but they created this video that tells the story of Drew Park. Um, and before I should say this, the one part that I added in, the one thing as seniors in my school that I want students to do is they have to find peer reviewed scholarship for me, you know, in this part of the year. So I wanted to teach them how to find peer reviewed scholarship. 
So they did in the collect phase, do some research about trash and, and got some ideas about what other people had done in parks like this. Um, and finally in the act phase, they had all this accumulated information. They started contacting local officials to, to find out what they could do about this. And, you know, it was one of those things. It was the end of the semester. We were cramming to get it done. We took a whole, basically like a whole month to do all this, by the way, before I tell you what happened, I want to tell you what I did every single day to introduce this for the whole month. Every day I started off with this sound. Yes. Yeah, right? I mean, that's it. That's National Geographic when I think of it, right? That got us pumped every single day. And so we were ready to act. We had all this information. We had our, our visuals. We had, look at that map. It's beautiful. And we actually, we contacted um, through emails, the local parks um, commissioner. And, you know, we tried to schedule something. It just didn't happen because we ran out of time and school was over, right? But they did actually make some acting happen because they didn't get to see this. The seniors, they graduated and went on and I never got to tell them what happened. But the next year, when I went back in those woods with my next batch of students, the park was the most beautiful I've ever seen it in 15 years. Like somebody went back there and totally made that park beautiful. So, um, you know, the one thing I'll say about this project personally, I, I find it's a little shallow when we think about, you know, we were, we were learning about bats and windmills and stuff. Like there is a shallowness that, you know, and I think sometimes as a teacher, you just have to meet students where they are with this kind of work. And, you know, that's where they were. They wanted to just do litter. So I always am the type that just lets them go. Um, but there are some amazing videos out there to watch like teachers that do incredible things. Um, so anyway, that's my story. And that's what I did with my, uh, my students back in 2018. Rich, I have to comment. I love this story, first of all. Um, and you mentioned the depth of the, of the, of the work for, for students. When I talk to teachers about the geo inquiry process and, and their experiences, sometimes they never get to act within the school year because each step can take a long time and then you have a pandemic you know and things like that but you know the life happens in between but what is so important to me about the process is the process um because students are learning different skills and different competencies along the way yeah we want them to get to act um but they're also learning about collecting evidence they're learning about the importance of having evidence to back up a claim to back up an argument and how powerful it is when you've got that data and creating a story. So it's the process that they're going to apply to other things in their life and other problems they encounter. So I think, um, I think, first of all, I think picking up litter in this park is, is a good thing to do. So <laughs> I don't think it's a shallow thing, but it is um, a lot about the process and what they're learning and how they're feeling about themselves. Didn't they feel good? When this... and, you know, absolutely like they they were contributing they were especially as seniors you know who have that that typical senior slack year you know they think but they were actually doing something i think they felt very proud of. that's why i wish they had seen what happened to the park afterwards <laughs> and you know the other thing you know is just getting out there is also part of school that doesn't happen enough right and i think that also engages them in a process like this too Absolutely, it's a great project. I have to ask one more question. Did you use survey one, two, three to collect the data on that little plot map? I don't know, no. Um, I don't know how the students, I had all sorts of possibilities. We had actually used a Google, I don't know how they did that. Okay. I'll tell you how I think though. We, had, we were using a Google map at the time 
and I had taught them how to take a picture of it. That's actually how they did it. Okay. I taught them how to take a picture and use the metadata in a picture to put a pin on a map. So that's how they did it. Perfect. Okay, just curious. I was also gonna say that I, I so appreciate the, you know, I could, I could sense the feeling that you were, um, seemed to be encouraging in the classroom, like actually, you know, like, like this is our responsibility, you know, we're, we're, we're part of, you know, who's responsible for taking care of this space and place. And one of the things I love about Rich's work too, um, because we've worked on other projects um, that maybe actually we can talk about a little bit, this write out project we've been working on, um, is that this park is right next to the school. So it's just like really walking out your door and experiencing the space around you and, and, and taking ownership and responsibility for, for what's happening there. I think that's really, powerful. Yeah, and we always encourage the projects to be local, to be community-based. For one thing, the kids get more engaged, I think, if it's something they can see happening in their community. Like you said, they step right outside their school and there it is. So it's not only convenient, but it's more powerful in the impact that it has and them feeling like they have that sense of responsibility. And it's also what geography, you know, we were talking about what is geography, and I feel like geography is this thing that's like forgotten or overlooked. And I think the same thing happens with these students in this park. They forget that this park is there. I mean, some of them actually walk to school through it every day, but they never like stopped and just looked at it, you know? And just, I think that that's a really, you know, given our, our day and age and time and all that's going on in the world, we need to stop and look around a little bit more. And I think that this process helps us do that too. Absolutely. So as we've been sort of working together on this, we've talked a lot about what it means to be writing teachers too, and teachers of writing with this work. And, and we all sort of work in different contexts. And Elaine, I think that the original curriculum might've been intended for middle schoolers, but here Rich is doing this with high schoolers, you know, and, and we were really struck by the flexibility of of the resources and the flexibility of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And then as writing teachers, pretty excited about, whoa, you can really do a lot of powerful work here as writers too. So I wanted to sort of just open up the conversation a little bit and maybe Carrie and Jeff, you could sort of share some of what is really interesting to you about these processes, this process. One thing I love is that I think when people hear geography, they automatically go to social studies. That's where their brains go. And Elaine was trying to get us away from that. But I think Rich's example also really highlights how cross-curricular the geo-inquiry project is and how a teacher in any subject area can choose to emphasize um, different parts of this, but the comprehensive nature of geo-inquiry with there is obviously the geography in there, but that has such a broad definition. You have all kinds of science. You have Rich's students who were um, looking at an ecological issue, but in the process, they were practicing those mapping skills. They were collecting data. They were engaged in the writing. Um, they were engaged in the visualization and the communication. And these are such cross-curricular um, skills and 
you know, as an English teacher, Rich was able to focus a little bit more on the literacy aspect of it. And um, I just think that it's such a fantastic um, place to root um, any kind of curriculum is in this geo-inquiry process. And I think from a, a writing teacher perspective too, I, I've, I think there's something really powerful about really digging into the concept of noticing and seeing your place in the world. Like Rich is saying, it's not just about, you know, putting your phone down and looking around, but that is a part of it. And as a writing teacher, you are asking students um, to notice things, you know, notice how they're feeling, notice the world around them, sort of take a breath and be in the world in a way that sometimes when you're a teenager, no matter what area you're in, it's hard to, to see yourself in having a place in the world. And, and um, I really thought we did this from both a writing and a, and a literacy reading perspective, this idea that observation and note-taking is about sort of waking up to the world that is all around, it, it, it's not uncovering anything, it's just sort of noticing it and, and observing it and, and taking notice. And that's a huge part of a, of a writing classroom is helping students not only to make those observations, but also to value them and to value themselves as observers and to value themselves as, you know, do you have something to say? The, the number of students that when we go to write will say, I don't, I don't have anything to say about that or my opinion isn't important um, is, is remarkable. And this process of sort of showing them how to, encouraging them to, to take notice of their place and to sort of, um, uh, speak up and, and value their own opinion and their own sort of perspective on the world is a, is a huge, um, benefit. As you mentioned observation, when we developed the learning framework, um, uh, one of the skills I went through that, I didn't even go over it really, it was on that one slide, but one of the skills was observation. And that's not just a matter of taking in, um, it's important that it's also a matter of being able to make sense of it, but to communicate it. That a big part of observation is then being able to explain what it is you're observing and doing that in, in multiple different mediums and different ways to different people for different reasons. So that's a, a key skill. I think too, you know, one thing I keep hearing all of you say is the word place. And I think that <laughs> writing teacher is really um, going to find place a fantastic resource in a classroom because we are always in place, no matter what we are always in place. That's where the, you know, the geography is, you know, we're always in a place and that place is not just the spatial, physical, even more than human natural world around us. It's also our social ties to that place. So when I take students, even any time of the year, when I take students to those woods, there's to write, I just do some nature writing. There's always a kid who writes about the litter, always. And, and, and the litter is always different every year. Um, and then there's another kid who's gonna write about you know, these same tropes um, and place is just such a resource. Like, what are you gonna write about in my class? There's plenty to write about when you think about the places that you're part of. Yeah, I mean, even in COVID times, you know, you, you, when we were virtual in the spring and, and kids were very much trapped in their places and helping kids even to just say, yeah, but what do you not notice? What have you never noticed even in the very, you know, small space you have to, to live in? Um, and, and even that's 
brought on some expansive thinking and some, you know, oh yeah, I haven't ever really thought about why this is here or that is there or, or why this should matter to me. Um, yeah, there's kind of an infinity in it. And I, and I really liked Elaine's description and that uh, the visual of how there's all these different layers on the world depending on what perspective you're looking at it from. And I think that's a that's a key part of all you know English classes is is we talk about you know what are the different points of view, why do we read literature right? It's it's to get perspectives from other you know points of view and to and to see problems from a different perspective. So there's there's a real overlap that that you wouldn't think necessarily uh, would be there. It's uh, fun to see students recognize perspective in the midst of a geo inquiry process and I'm thinking of one in particular where a group of students their their um, problem was um, they wanted they needed to stay within the school building because it was one of the schools where they really couldn't take kids out to do things in the community so they've got an issue right there they'll come up with a million of them at school you know that mm -hmm. um, <laughs> all of these things are wrong at school but this one was about the use of plastic cutlery they wanted to reduce the use of plastic in the school, so they started with plastic cutlery in the in the kitchen, um, in the in the dining area, and they were thinking of it as an, from an ecological perspective, right? Well, very quickly they ran into an economic perspective um, when they started talking to the administrators and the people who work in the dining facility that it's expensive, and you're going to have to have people to wash all that silverware if you're going to use real, you know not not plastic silverware and it was also a political one so you know they started to run into these different perspectives as they went through the geo inquiry process it wasn't a simple answer or a solution to their problem they did succeed by the way but um they weren't popular in the data collection though because they stood at the uh at the garbage cans and counted all the thrown away plastic cutlery but look at, you know, that's such a cool example of how, how much they learned there that they would never have learned if they weren't investigating something that they were interested in themselves, that, that ecological perspective, the economic perspective, the political perspective that they just would never have gotten if they were looking at it, you know, within the confines of their own classroom at their desk or from their textbook. And that's just so powerful. And you can't it occurs to me too that this would this would be such a natural fit for like a journalism class i mean you could really build your school newspaper or at least some part of your school newspaper on geo inquiry and on on sort of noticing and doing some investigative reporting you know i think about a creative writing class too that that create part too you know the, all the possibilities of how you could story the situation you know if i had more time with those students i might have asked them to to create a narrative inspired by the data somehow and maybe we would have like heard a great story about those fish guts in the in the woods <laughs> i want to know more about that first. <laughs> yeah i mean it's really you know thinking about audience and purpose and you can do sort of multiple iterations for different contexts and uh, Elaine was talking about how it's also about building an argument, right? So mm -hmm. that work that so many folks are doing, really thinking about how does that support, how does this support that kind of process too? You know, one, one of the issues as designers that we had was how long is this supposed to take? Like mm -hmm. each of these playlists takes how long? Right? <laughs> each of these activities takes how long? So Elaine, how long, how long are the projects usually? Um, 
Well, I've seen some that are quite short um, because they just have a, a, a pretty quick um, sort of solution to them and they only have a certain amount of time. And then mm -hmm. I've seen others that could take a full year. And like I said, there are some that don't finish. Uh, Jim Bentley, you've referred to Jim Bentley um, in, in um, Elk Grove, California, I think before. And I think he's pictured in some of your videos in the playlist, yes. at least one of them. Um, anyway, his students um, participated in a project. They started early in the school year. They didn't actually see the result of the project until the next summer. And he had the, they had to come back because that's when they, the city council um, the, the parks department actually put the, the um, water refilling station in place. So that was after school and a pollinator garden in an Iowa project happened after the school year was over. So it depends, it's not, it's not a short process. You're not going to do it in a week. Okay. But it's, you know, it, it can take a while. Well, and I think the important thing to remember there too, is that, um, you know, we can, do geo inquiry instead of something else we were already doing rather than in addition to what we were already doing. Because so many of the content standards, whether um, regardless of what content area you're in actually, are going to be hit when you engage fully and meaningfully in the geo inquiry process. And um, I think that that's, that's one of the shifts that is hard to make um, of course, in education, but to try to think of this instead of what can I, where will this fit in where, you know, instead of something I was doing before that is going to most likely be more meaningful and more engaging to the students, but will still hit those same content standards that I'm expected to cover. And there's so many places that can happen. Absolutely. There are examples too of places where the teacher has used this with an after school group or with a subset of a class where they've done sort of some extra work outside of regular classroom on this. And also I've had, you know, informal educators have, have done this as well. But so it really varies a lot. It's hard to come up with one plan, but it, it can be um, integrated. I think it takes that sort of thinking through what am I going to be teaching anyway? And how can this replace some of that if I don't have it set in concrete that I have to do it a certain way? How can this fit in? I think in the age of COVID too, um, you know, I'm, I'm teaching in a hybrid model where I see half my students one day and then the other half the next day and then another batch the next half of the week. And really, I don't see certain students for a whole week. And that means me, I have to really plan differently, but I've just relied on like my work with stuff like this because I am a project-based teacher because of this. And I think the project-based teaching really lends itself to this COVID situation because you know, with the ask thing, it's like, go out in the world and, and look around. It's like, okay, take a week to do that. <laughs> That's, mm -hmm. A week is, you might get better questions that way, as opposed to doing it just the one day in one period. So, you know, in many ways, like the way that this unfolds in a classroom in a regular year, um, it might be more restricting because of curriculum, but in COVID right now, I could see this being very adaptable because like, it's just, it gives you that that longevity of like letting kids kind of marinate on something and go do a phase, sit in a phase for a bit. Now we're going to move into the next phase and we have some time to be in that phase. It's not something you do every day in a class either. You know, quite often it's going to be something you might do once a week. Mm. It just, it has to fit, you know, and, and um, it, I think it's interesting how people are able to fit it into different sorts of um, 
settings and environments, but doing it during the time of COVID is certainly makes it another interesting challenge. <laughs> well, Paul's been talking a lot about, sorry, Jeff, I think, but um, Paul, when we were working on this, Paul kept saying, you know, but COVID is a, a geo inquiry question, oh, right? right? We're, we're in a geo inquiry moment. And if we even think beyond like, and the kids could be like helping us with these really tricky problems of schooling and community and, and learning together. So that's pretty powerful actually. Yeah, it is. Jeff, are you gonna jump in? I'm sorry, I, I thought. Well, you made me think about other things now that you said that, but I was I was gonna relate the, <laughs> I was just gonna kind of say, there's, there's a definite connection in each step of that geo-inquiry process to, you know, a, a good writing process in, in terms of generating thoughts and asking questions. And then sort of each step, I, I really do think you can bury it in, you know, in place of other things, especially as a writing teacher. Um, I guess the other thing that, that you made me think of when you said what you said, Christine, is there's also that problem. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's just a fact of doing things like this is that the real world doesn't always cooperate. Um, in, in predictable ways. And so that, that is one of the things that as a teacher, you're, you're going in with an explorer mindset too. You know, once you head out, you don't, you don't have control over the questions the kids ask. And that's a good thing. I mean, to me, that's my favorite kind of stuff is that we're really engaging in real, um, in real time inquiry. But I think there's also that there's an instinct, at least there was an instinct in me when I did some of these things in small ways with my teachers to, or with my kids to be like, here are the questions I want you to ask, <laughs> you know, like, here are the places I want you to observe, here are the things I want you to notice. And, and that urge to sort of put up rails and sort of say, this is the direction is, is hard to fight, but you can get, I think you're, I mean, you're not doing anybody any favors if you do that sort of uh, thing but it is that is that sort of you're going to walk out into that park and let's see what we find you know uh, and and let's see what questions you ask so why don't we i know elaine i know that uh you and um the folks at nat geo have been working really hard um, to be responsive to teachers at this moment of time, especially, right? And that there's a lot of new resources, but also lots of tried and true resources that you've had um, to support classrooms in doing this kind of work over time. Why don't we take a look at those and then come back to sort of a, a bit of a, a little bit of a discussion and thinking about, you know, Rich talked about, you know, his hybrid teaching situation, you know, everybody's in these really different kind of situations right now. And maybe we could sort of spend a little time meditating on like how we can do this work in our different contexts. But let's look at some of the stuff that is available online from Nat Geo. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds fine. And I'm going to go through them pretty quickly, Christina, because basically what, what I have is just sort of a look at, at um, where you can find things. Um, I think that it's... Um, some of what we have is new um, as far as resources, but it's because everything we have is online. So, I mean, it's all digital, it's all available in a, in a virtual world. And so teachers are using 
using the resources more as maybe some student facing that haven't been used as student facing before. Uh, for example, we'll have um, articles and encyclopedic entries that are, are really good to direct students to as examples of writing, we're talking about writing, and also certainly as content in different subject areas. So just to kind of walk through quickly, um, this is our web page. Um, and this is that actually, um, you can't see that, but it's if you look at net geoed.org, it will take you to this website or go to Google and just Google National Geographic Education and it will take you there. And the reason I say that is because um, I often ask teachers if they're using our resources and if not, I mean, how can we help them uh, find them if, if, if they have, if we have some they could use and they say, oh yeah, I use them all the time. I show them this page and they say they've never seen this page. And I know that's because they're going to nationalgeographic.com which is the magazine and television and things like that, which is fine, but they're not seeing the free resources if they don't go to natgeoed.org. So look for the org site. This is the homepage and you can search for things right from the homepage. Uh, you can find all of our resources um, along the top. This isn't live, it's a, just a screenshot. So if you were to hover over what you see, classroom resources, professional development, student experiences and blog at the top, um, Right, right above the colorful pictures. If you hover over those, you can see the different options. But if you were to search from this page on the next slide, you would see what you might get. If I were to search on the word inquiry, for example, I would get a list of different kinds of resources down the, the right-hand side of this page. And you're going to find articles. Those are, like I said, encyclopedic entries that have vocabulary in them. Um, and then you're also going to find at the top, it says activity. Um, that's our National Geographic word for a lesson plan. I've been there eight years and I'm not quite sure why we call a lesson plan an activity, but just so you know, there's that term. And that means it's a full-blown lesson plan that has everything somebody would need if they wanted to just take it and use it in the classroom. You can filter, like with most um, results pages, you can filter by grade level, you can filter by the type of activity or the type of content rather that you're looking for. Um, a cool feature that's new in the last year is that you can also create an account. All of this, by the way, is free and so is creating an account. Everything we have is free. And then you can save things so that you can go back and find them later. You don't have to um, try to figure out how you're going to find things again. So if you want to go to the next slide, this just shows one of the examples of a video file that you might find, for example. Um, with information there and you can play right right from there. On the next slide, you will see um, example of um, a new page that we have on our website. You know, we're talking about explorers being good examples of people who've identified geo-inquiry um, geo questions and have gone out in the world to solve them, looking at different perspectives. I like this page because um, because you can go in and find the stories of different explorers. Uh, what are they doing out in the world? What's the problem they've identified? What, what sort of work? And of course, there's always a lot of pictures and a lot of videos and, and other cool stuff that you can direct students to. Um, the accounts are primarily for teachers, but there's nothing wrong with you sharing your account with your students. And actually, I don't know that anybody would even know if a student created an account. Did I say that out loud? I think I said that out loud, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so if you go to the next slide, because I'm going through this quickly, because I do want to get to the conversation that you want to have. Another um, resource that I think is really helpful for teachers right now that has really grown is from our community. We have a community of educators that all educators can join by hovering over that um, professional development tab, a uh, little word up there and finding educator network. Um, and what you'll see in the blog, you can move ahead, that's fine, is um, con contributions by our educators. We call them our educators. These are educators we work with who've gone through our free online courses, professional development, and who are just sort of part of our family at National Geographic. And they've um, uh, created a variety of resources here to share with other teachers. Also, you'll see different articles here on the blog, uh, the one right in the middle at the bottom, five resources or plus resources to help students explore the world from home. So there are just examples here. This is always current. This is always changing in our blog. So you can find a lot of current information and new ideas and new resources here. Also, then you'll see um, educator spotlights and strategy shares, one of my favorite things. Um, that's right, you can move on because the next page just shows the kinds of strategy shares. And these are actually teachers, full-time classroom teachers like you who are, um, are sharing their strategy for doing different things. So here we have an example about connecting with explorers, another one about celebrating world cultures over the summer. They're always rich with ideas because they're coming directly from classroom experiences and real life sorts of of um, experiences that teachers are having in their classroom. And the next one, I believe, is another example of that. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what's, oh, educator spotlights. Similar to that, we're just seeing what other educators are doing in the classroom. So these are sort of um, um, just little um, stories about, about um, some of the cool things that educators are doing. I also uh, notice along the right-hand side, I encourage everybody to go to our Facebook page um, and join, join in our community there. We have a hashtag, um, National Geographic Education or Nat Geo Education rather. And then another one there you see is um, a hashtag Teacher Strong. Um, find that on Facebook, but also certainly on Twitter. That community is growing and communicating a lot and sharing resources all the time, especially now when people are, are really, teachers are really working together to find what works best in their in their teaching situation and their setting right now. I think that's about it. There might be one more slide here about, okay, there's just another example of an educator spotlight. I think the last slide is the geo inquiry course. We have um, a whole set of, of online courses. They're all free, anywhere from five weeks to seven weeks in length. These are not MOOCs. They're not the massive courses of thousands, they're capped at around 300 um, and they do fill up and then we open another another cohort so that we can go with it. They're, they're um, very popular. We just started one on storytelling, just on the 20th, started one with Adobe on, on photography, photo telling. This one is um, a course and you don't have to take a course to do geo-inquiry. But we do have one available and it's a seven week course. This one starts on the 28th, which is what tomorrow. And I believe uh, we'll be taking registrations for about a week. This is a course, like I said, about 300 people and they go through as a cohort. And so it's important to start pretty close to the beginning so you don't feel like you're getting behind. Um, you can also click on learn more if you're on the real internet 
And from there, you can go to a page that will give you an educator guide for the geo inquiry process and a student handbook as well. So um, all of this, again, is free. All of our online courses, by the way, have um, um, graduate credits that you can get for them while the online courses are free. The only thing you would pay for would be the credit. So that's what I wanted to go through and quickly, but just to give you an idea of sort of how to find different resources there. That's great. Thank you so much. And um, uh, I was thinking that the um, one of the things that we did um, to start understanding GeoWeek inquiry was to do it, start to do it ourselves, try these playlists ourselves and do the pieces. Um, so um, that makes a lot of sense. So here is a, a, an image from the um, playlists uh, set. These are the different characters, uh, Sanjay and his friends. And um, I just updated them with their own little masks for the COVID moment <laughs> that we're all Nicely in. Done. So, um, so with these students in mind, uh, whether you're working with them in a face-to-face -face situation or online or both, or whatever. <laughs> Maybe we can um, just sort of think aloud here, you know, how, how do we see these resources being helpful and useful given our current situation, teaching situations? I was thinking that um, you can't do this wrong. Um, so <laughs> the, the, there's um, the, the idea that it could take a month or it could take four years, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and, the, and the idea that Jeff started talking about, about how the first time you do it, you might have guardrails and then you might leave some of those down. Like it's a, it's a teaching iterative process that you should jump in and start doing and then say, you know what, I could do this a little differently this way next time. So it feels like a, a process like that that can expand once you get started. Yeah, and I think I think what Rich said about we're in a we're in a very project-based moment right now. I think more and more teachers, whether they realize it or not, are moving that direction. Um, and I think um, these these are the kinds of tools that can go take you from sort of assigning projects to really teaching with projects. That you know, just like with writing, it's easy to assign writing. It's not easy to teach writing, and it's the same thing with projects. It is easy to assign a, a, a project, but I think these kinds of tools and this, the, the over, I, for me, it always helps to have that overarching sense of, you know, we're trying to get in the explorer mindset. We're thinking like a geographer to have those sort of broader sense of this is the point. Um, and, and I think that can bring a lot of meaning to projects beyond just here's step one, step two, step three, step four. And I think with those LRNG playlists too, like these little packets uh, with Sanjay and all of them, <laughs> um, <laughs> just as a teacher, it's a great resource because like there's there's like prompts of things to do. Um, it could totally, you know, be a thing that you have your students watch, you know, watch this by next week and do the thing and submit it to Google Classroom. Um, and it's right there. It's all ready to roll. So it's, it's nice and, and ready-made, you know, it's a great like, you know, I, I think about like it's a great spring project too, because, you know, you're coming out at the tail end of things and who knows where we're going to breathe this spring. And, you know, like it's there, you could check it out 
by then. What's neat too is that it is ready-made without being something that is totally canned because it um, still allows for students to explore things in their own context of their own interest, but the framework is there for you, um, which makes it kind of the best of both worlds. You know, you're given some tools, but you're not restricted. Plus, you know, just these buildings, you know, I, as I've been doing, I did one of these, um, you know, Zoom calls with my classes where we went outside. So I actually put my phone in my hand and I put the Zoom, we walked and I just realized that I have some remote only students who are never coming to class. And I'm like, well, you know, let me just show you the school right now. Cause you people don't know. And there's, there's tape down the middle of, of the hallways. There's one way signs, like think spatially our buildings have changed. Like just the water fountains are all taped up in caution tape. Like, you know, it's like a crime scene where there was a, a water fountain and spatially our schools have changed. So there's plenty of questions to be asked about. And, this. and not only schools, but yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think from, from, you know, in my school district, we're all still completely virtual. And, you know, my daughter's in middle school and, and she's virtual, but there's even things to notice in the online virtual space, I mean, it would be interesting to do a an inquiry into a Zoom call, right? That like, you know, if I if I took this right here as our place, um, and and really started to generate questions about, you know, what, how does this affect me, and what is my perspective, and and all those sorts of things, um, and the way students interacting through chat on the side rather than talking to each other, and you know, there's. What has been, you know, what, what has been the effect of virtual school on the concept of bullying, right? Do we, you know, and, and those sorts of ideas that I think are right there too to be, because we, it is an exploration. Nobody, we've only been doing this for a few months. And so there's, it's kind of ripe for somebody to sort of look into and go, what, what is this virtual school stuff? And, and what is that place like? I love that. It's great. Um, so I, I wanted to just give a shout out to the many teachers who have shared their geo-inquiry processes online too. So we know some have been developed with um, National Geographic and you can find them on their website. And then if you just actually search on YouTube, you find all these teachers who have really enthusiastically shared the entire process they've done. Um, you can really see a great deal of joy in, in those videos. And a, great deal of love for like what just happened and what they everybody did together. Um, and I know that we found those to be really powerful mentor texts ourselves as we were thinking about um, these playlists and this curriculum. And um, I was just thinking about how like continuing to share that work online is gonna be so important so we can see in this new era, you know, what does this look like and, and how do we, how do we organize it? And what are some of the questions that emerge today? So, so why don't we go around? Um, I, I wanted to make sure to say that um, this recording, um, all the links, um, the links to the um, slides that we've been sharing and to the resources that Elaine's been sharing and uh, those will all be available with this broadcast. So um, check those out. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe we could just sort of, what are some sort of final thoughts sort of looking at all this together and thinking about this together that people um, want to share as we start to close out? 
I'm really interested in thinking about how I could use this with um, an equity club that we have in my school, like Elaine was saying about after school projects. And I'm actually thinking about leveraging this. You know, the one thing about National Geographic is it's a name and everybody knows it. So it really like has some some credibility already. So I'm wondering how that might be helpful to this club, like finding issues of equity in our school, you know? Nice. I had a very strange thought that may be a terrible idea, but I had it during this call, which is, I, I think I want to see if you can approach reading a novel from the explorer mindset, right? That I could hand a, a book to a student and say, I want you to explore your way through this book, um, which is part of a project we do at the end of the semester that I think I'm going to try to sort of incorporate it into just what it would normally just sort of be a, a literary analysis kind of project. Oh, that's fascinating. Part of my work at National Geographic since I, very soon after I started has been helping to build and then continue to nurture the learning framework. And I want to hear what you learn out of that project. I can't wait to hear that. That sounds great. I just made it up just now. Like, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I am an English teacher, by the way, so that, that resonates with me. <laughs> I just wanted to say that I, I feel like geo-inquiry is what education should be. I teach both English and science, and I always want to teach both of them together. And I want these this cross-curricular, really rich students motivated, um, you know, engaging comprehensive education. And I just, I, I hope this is, I hope this is the future of education. Amen. Right. And I don't think anybody's mentioned it yet. So the, the, that whole visualizing section and presenting and so forth is really rich with digital creation too. Right, so that that feels like an important part, you know. So when we talk about the writing classroom, we're talking about the writing classroom now with multimedia as well. So and yeah, this is a rich place to do that. But I also wanted to say that when when this group was like tearing this stuff apart and figuring it out, like it was really an interesting process. And you guys were really cogent tonight. I was <laughs> I was impressed how it all made sense. Anyway, so. <laughs> But I, yeah. Thanks. Is that? Am I? I don't know if I'm. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, Rich was like, Rich like laid out all all of the things we just said before he did his thing. Like, wow, that was cool. All right. <laughs> Compliment backhanded. Thank you. <laughs> I I've had a amazing time. You know. Uh, sense making and making sense with you all um, around this process. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what we continue to emerge. I wanted to, picking up on what um, you said, Paul, I wanted to give a shout out. One of the videos that um, Elaine um, shared and that we actually also had looked at um, a different version of it, but uh, Jim Bentley from the Oak Grove um, uh, School, school district, I think, actually in California. So um, he's one of the uh, Nat Geo certified teachers and his video I thought was really useful. And I think we, we can add it as a link with this, with this broadcast because he does talk about all the sort of digital, he puts an emphasis on the digital media aspect of it. 
and all the digital tools that he uses that I think a lot of people will now recognize because they are trying to figure out how to use these things too. But I do think it's a really, you know, the strong multimodal aspect of it. And, and Rich, the videos um, that you weren't able to find, but I just wanted to say are, are rich artifacts of multimodal composing that the kids did. And, um, and were those stories that do share these ideas with the larger community beyond their classroom. So um, anyway, powerful opportunities. So thank you all so much for making and taking the time to be here and talking about the geo-inquiry process. And thank you so much, Elaine, for um, uh, sharing with us all the rich resources that are available and brainstorming all these ideas with us. And thank you for the opportunity. I've enjoyed this very much. And uh, this has been NWP Radio of the National Writing Project. And we wish you a good night. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.